Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. All right, welcome back to Account Trends, everybody. Jason Stein, your host, is with me, as always, Mr. David Bergstein. How are you, sir? I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I just came off a of vacation, although I'm going to be paying the price for that this week with a packed uh, set of meetings. It's funny, you can't take time off because then everything just gets pushed around your time off. <laughs> so I'm dealing with that, but uh, you know, it's nice to have gotten some time to disconnect. And uh, we actually took the family to Great Wolf Lodge. Have you ever heard of that? Great Wolf Lodge, I've heard a lot about it. They're about to open up in 2024 in Naples, Florida. I think the largest Great Wolf Lodge. Oh, and yeah. You can get early bird discount before it's open. And <laughs> Naples, Florida, that's uh, almost the pickleball capital of the world these days. Oh, is with it? Uh, Margaritaville down there. They hold some championships. So uh, check it out. Yeah, they, I get it. And I'm not, obviously, I'm not being paid to promote Great Wolf Lodge here, but it's fresh on my mind. So I thought it was interesting. And you see the ads for them all the time. I, I think, you know, they're, they're, it kind of had a, you know, a, like a a theme park feel to it a little bit, but more um, co- cozy, I think. And that's the lodge part, right? That 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 uh, is the point of all that. So was, I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah, they're, I guess they're noted for being an indoor, largest indoor water parks in the country. Right. Yeah, the wave pool. They had some pretty cool uh, tube rides, too. I, my wife and I got on one, and it, it was a little bit scary. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to check it out in Naples since it was just written up. So well, yeah. they're behind on construction, but 2024 will be there. There you go. Well, this uh, this week's episode, we had Jeannie Whitehouse on the show. Jeannie brought some really cool insights. You know, as always, she's so brilliant. Um, what stood out for you? Well, I, I like her impactfuladvisor.com website. And we'll quote, I'll call it the level five training. It's really the best training I've ever taken three times on <laughs> how to do consulting because it's not just financial, it's operational, it's customer service. And it teaches you what questions to ask the clients. So if you're an accountant that's good with numbers and afraid to talk, if you're through with this course, you'll know a couple of questions to ask that'll help you transition into advisory services. Because you ask the question, all of a sudden the client's responding, you'll know where to go from taking a course. Right, right, exactly. You know, we spent a good, we spent a good amount of time digging into those those questions um, and what to ask and what answers to expect. And then what do you do with that information? So uh, exciting stuff. Should be great. The one thing I like, I guess, is this is the one course that I've walked away with a playbook, what to do, not just go try this. It's the step by step. Right. Well, with that, excited to share this episode with our listeners and I hope everybody enjoys. Today we have... Jeannie Whitehouse with us. Jeannie is the founder of Impactful Advisor uh, and has had a, from as long as I've known you, Jeannie, the lifelong passion around advisory 
uh, which is really apt because that's something we talk about a lot on the show here. Um, Jeannie, you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do for the profession? I'm a CPA. I'm based in Napa Valley, California, and I work part of the time with a CPA firm that focuses on the wine industry. I know that's shocking since I'm right in the middle of Napa Valley. And my role there is 100% advisory. I, I work part-time and all that I do is advisory service delivery for clients. I also do a little bit of marketing and educational outreach and things like that, but it's really all about advisory. Um, and I've been uh, speaking about advisory for a long time, since early 2000, and discovered some training materials and then been trying to get accountants to do things uh, that they didn't want to do for a long time. It's exciting. And David and I have been out on the circuit at the same time over the years with tools, um, interactive dashboards and other tools that accountants could use to have different kinds of conversations with clients. And we're still trying to teach people how to do that. I say, I believe Jeannie's got the best set of tools. I've taken her course three times, twice live and twice online. Because when you walk away, you walk away with actually the tools to do the advisory survey. And it's numbers and non-numbers. I think you've done a great job promoting that and keeping it running. Thank you. I didn't create it, but I um, was an early adopter back in the day, as was David. And uh, it's life-changing. The materials, the tools, and just the different way of thinking is what it takes, I think, to be successful as an advisor. What I love about that is your um, practical approach to all of this. Like Everybody everybody who's not doing this, the the biggest thing they say is... I don't know how, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that part. I don't have the confidence to get started. And so that's, you know, that's that, that knowledge and and expertise that we're, you know, we're looking to extract from here on the show today, (laughs) or at least a part of it. It's everybody keeps beating the drum that we need to do it. And nobody knows, first of all, we don't agree on the definition of what advisory is. Mm -hmm. And then how do we go about doing it? And how am I supposed to change who I am after all these years of learning how to do tax returns in my case? And suddenly become this advisor when I'm talking about things in the future and things that I can't check or, or do same as last year, or when I expose myself to a question that I don't know how to answer. And so there's a lot of fear around this, a lot of lacking in confidence that we have as a profession. And um, having a toolkit to apply is what helps you get over that. Oh, you have hit the nail on the head. And I want to actually, I want to hone in on one thing you just said. Uh, which is that that piece about tra- like becoming a new person? Say say more about that because I think you're dead on with that. That's that's probably the biggest hurdle that's in front of in front of everybody's face. That's that's not there yet. Is this is the way I've been doing things forever, and now I've got to be this totally different person. Now is what you're saying? Well, much of our training is account, at least for mine. I mean, I'm talking to young people, and I think we're still teaching accountants how to follow the set of rules that we've been given, um, do the same kinds of things over and over again, focus on getting data from one place to another in the proper order, um, check and balance things to each other. We're not trained in what to say about it or what it all means. And that's where our clients need us to be. And it's a real struggle for us to, to think about it that way. And again, it goes back to this this interactive dashboard that I discovered. So I left accounting when I made partner in tax and almost the next day quit. I went in and said, I don't want to do this tax thing anymore. And I went back. And then I joined Navision Software and I did my first speech. And that's when I realized that the communication thing is where I could really do the best work. And it's what I was wired to do. And accountants struggle with that. 
So I thought I need to start working on this. And then when I started speaking, I found this dashboard. And for me, it was the magic translator. And it was also insights I never had when I was working on tax work or even reconciling a financial statement or tying out balances. It was what things I can change to produce a different outcome, which financial metrics drive cash flow, for example, and which things I need to look at. And it gave me a way to explain that concept to a client, which I had always struggled with. And I know we all have anybody in this space. To tell a client that they made a profit when they have nothing in the checkbook is totally makes no sense to most people. And, you know, and for me, I mean, I knew conceptually that what the drivers were, but I could never communicate it in a way that they could connect with it until I found these tools that let me say, if I do this, slide this lever, slide this, look at cash flow grow. And I saw the response in an owner's eyes and went, oh, now I get it. Yay. So for me, that tool was nirvana. I mean, it was like, this is how we change the profession. And then David and I, I can remember us being at some show together and talking about this. And and it was, I can give you whatever technology I can uncover, but if you're uncomfortable in having a conversation, you're never going to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to, and I, the people that looked at the software that I had, again, interactive conversational tool kept saying, where's the report? I'm going to just mail it out and not have to talk to clients. So I had to find a way to get them to overcome that. And that's where I found the the training. And it was created by Edie Osborne at Mentor Plus. So I found Edie and these tools and everybody that had been through her training immediately purchased the software because they knew how to have a dialogue and also how to put themselves in a position of asking different questions. And that that was key for me when when I took that course. And I think, and I can say it because I'm not there. I think uh, AICPA and everybody else copied your the level five accounting with different names because that's truly you've walked through all those steps from traditional bookkeeping to really helping them move forward on a continuous basis. I think that was a great stride. And I think more and more people are adopting that now. Well, you know, Edie first released the course through the AICPA. It was called Performance Views. And those were the people that I found, people that were trained in it were on the AICPA website. And I reached out to those people and said, how did you learn how to do this? And they told me about Edie's toolkit. So, I mean, it's exactly that. And there are a lot of people that have been doing pieces of it. But the beauty of this tool set is that it's been vetted for so many years in a live setting. And, and she addressed all the concerns accountants had when they tried to make this shift and created a new tool every time something came up. So I have the benefit of taking all that accumulated knowledge and we put it online. I helped remove it online in 2018. And then I got the rights to it during COVID. And it's, again, stuff that I use all the time with my own clients. And I know it works. And, and I want to I wanna get more into, like, what are, what are the actual things that we could, like, some tidbits and stuff that we could get. But but because we're talking about this tool and this training, Jeannie, where do, if listeners are curious to learn more about that, where would you, where would we send them? They go to theimpactfuladvisor.com. That's my site. And again, I launched it during COVID and it's the online training is available there. It's a subscription. Um, You pay for it over three months. I tried to break the price down and you can just go on and do it yourself. It's got recorded videos and over a hundred tools that you can download. Checklists, PowerPoints that you can use to present, Word documents, how to conduct meetings, all kinds of stuff. So you don't have to go figure out how to do these things. And then a bunch of questions. This is the 
it's really strange when you tell people that what we give you is a bunch of different questions to ask. But that's how you open the door to different conversations and different service delivery for clients. And we just don't know what to ask sometimes. Or we don't have time to think about asking a different question because we're busy doing the compliance work. Right, right. And and it's just the the way that's it's the way we've been wired. So we're just just continuing to move forward with how we've been doing things. And uh, what do they say? If you always do what you did, you always get what you got. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. So go go check that out, folks. Really good, robust training. So Jeannie, help help us with some of the the, the key things that people struggle with. So one of them that I hear a lot is, and we've talked about it already, like shifting the dialogue with clients. So what are the kinds of questions that you recommend people ask? And what are what are the kinds of answers that you hear from clients to those questions? Here's the first, to me, this is the easiest, most basic question you can ask a client. And if you're talking to an owner, the question that is the most revealing is, where do you go to see if your business is on track? If we will ask, and I've told tax people to do this, but I don't have time to ask another question. And that's, okay. Where do you go to see if your business is on track? And it is not, I hate to tell you this, Jason, but it is not QuickBooks for most owners. It is their operational system that feeds something into QuickBooks. They need QuickBooks to be done correctly, but they are not monitoring by the minute what's happening in their business in QuickBooks. They're going somewhere else. And so what we need to do is align with that help them get those insights quicker, and then help them simplify the process of getting that data into QuickBooks. There's a huge opportunity for all of these feeder operational systems for us to get in there and help make those better. If that's where the owner is, that's where I want to be. And yes, QuickBooks is huge. We need that, and they need it to be right, and we need to keep all the numbers right. But if they're over here, and I'm and I'm keep pointing them back to something that's that's later than what they want to know, I'm not going to serve them. I'm not going to help them improve their business results because the pain is happening happening over there somewhere else. Yeah. I think that's insightful. It it really is. And it's hard for us because we're used to being in the financial realm primarily. And there's all this other stuff. Like in our case, in the wine industry, the point of sale system, which is what they also use in tasting rooms and for e-commerce, is a nightmare. So I find out the owners are going over there and running reports. And then the accounting doesn't match because of all sorts of timing differences and things that happen. So they have a number they're relying on. It doesn't match. So I need to find out what's going on there and get those systems to be more accounting accurate so that we can have system data flowing. And then I've also helped them build dashboards on top of those systems so that it comes out in a way that it makes more sense. But I also, because of the the unique ability that we have as a focused firm, all of our clients are in the same industry. And the other really unique thing is that they're all right here in this small little community. A 30 mile radius, I got all my clients. I mean, I know people don't have that luxury, but we can now do the same thing with virtual clients. But I know they're all using a couple of main inventory products. And then I can work with those vendors to make those products better serve my clients' requirements. So huge opportunities around all of that stuff when we start looking beyond just the financial results that we're trying to achieve, we can't we can't usually fix a financial challenge in the in the general ledger. We got to go somewhere else to figure out the root cause of that problem. You got to go upstream. And, and, right. that, and that's what's really happened in the QuickBooks community. Just to uh, give you the other side of it, they've opened up their ecosystem 
And now you have a QBO ecosystem with dashboards that people make specific to the industry that they're in to do KPIs and metrics around whatever it is. So everybody's doing what you're saying. They're making the financial system talk via an ecosystem. But many of those tools are financial statement driven. They're pulling the financial data. So my challenge is the operational stuff is not industry, it's not a widely used horizontal app. So there's not stuff in the ecosystem. I had to go outside of that to where the operational stuff. And again, the inventory systems are are very unique, again, for my specific industry. But so I had to go find something to get that data in a way that was timely and insightful for those owners. So, and yeah, and there's good sales data in in QuickBooks that we're not often pulling into those dashboards either. People like Sift Analytics are sucking in GL data and sales analysis. Now I'm getting closer to financial and non-financial data that I need to figure things out. So yeah, there's a lot of progress. And and Giraffe is pulling in other data. So you're seeing this data from inside QuickBooks being used to give us a, a, a more broader perspective on what's really happening. Yeah, and that's the key, the the broad perspective uh, th- th- that's out there. So do you see a trend where, and I think we talked a little bit about this offline, where accounting firms are going to focus more on the consulting and let audit and a test go somewhere else because they're seeing more of the opportunity in consulting? The, the question I have is, where does it go, David? <laughs> where, where it's going to end up? But I think, you know, when you're an auditor, and I've only survived the audit side of, of Deloitte, where I started for, I think, six weeks, and it was mutual agreement that it wasn't where I belong. Um, and I went back to tax. But, you know, when you're an auditor, you do a heck of a lot of analytics. You do a whole bunch of stuff. But your objective is to is to protect yourself from litigation. So you have all this insight that's going into the working paper file. Rather than stuff you're exposing to the client saying, look at this, this is out of whack, this is that. I and mean, you know, we might if there's a fraud thing or if there's some sort of trigger like that. But we're not saying, and you know, this compared to other people is not that good or whatever. We have all this performance metrics data that we can use and we're not. So audit people, I think, are in a great position to do this if they can stop worrying about independence, right? We got this independence wall. And then if we get in there and advise, we've got concerns. So yeah. If I want to get into a client that I'm currently doing an audit for and deliver advisory, it makes sense to spend the audit off into another outfit and then just focus on the advisory. The advisory is stuff people will pay for. This is what they need. And to me, that means advisory means helping a client move the needle forward in the direction of their dreams. And if we aren't doing that, it's not advisory. It doesn't matter to me. If it, I mean, we can, you know, tax planning is important because it helps them have more cash to apply to whatever they're trying to achieve. But it's not showing them how to modify their business to achieve a different outcome. So, Jason, you can imagine, how many accountants do you think are calling up a client and saying, what's your dream? It's not. Right. I would, yeah. <laughs> Visualize your future and tell me. But, but, you know, but in order to help them go wherever they're trying to go, we got to know where that is, right? And so it's asking those kinds of questions. Why are you doing this? The Simon Sinek why question. What are you trying to, to exit? What are you trying to build to? Are you trying to grow and go public? Are you trying to sell it? Are you trying to build a legacy? Those are critical questions because then everything I help them do after that 
needs to support that objective. But if we don't ask, we just jump in. So I come to you, Jason, and I say, here, I need to file a tax return. And then if you're a a typical tax person, right, David, we just get out the spreadsheet and start looking at the financials and making the tax adjustment. Mm -hmm. Well, what I encourage people to do is back up and go, okay, we'll help you with that. But first, I need to understand the bigger picture of what you're trying to build here, what's working in your business, what's not working, and what it is you're trying to achieve across different aspects, different areas of your organization. And then I can really help you come up with a long-term strategy that helps you, you know, optimize the taxes based on that, but also move you forward towards whatever you're trying to achieve. No, I agree 100% with you. I ask all my clients, what do they want to be when they grow up? What was their purpose going into business? Where do they want to go? But the key there is once you get that, you do some tax planning, you do some wealth planning. So I agree with you that advisory is all over. And now you just added another feather to your cap. You just became the president of ITA, the Information Technology Alliance, which I guess is what, the top 46 firms in the country or something? We have have different categories of members. So we have the top 50 um, IT, we have the top CIOs in the top 50 CPA firms. So these are C-level executives managing the technology in a big firm. And then we have... CAS practices, CAS practice leaders who are in the top 100 CPA firms. And that is the newest area for us and huge growth there and a lot of really cool stuff going on with those folks. Then we have consulting resellers who are partners implementing mid-market applications for clients. And we have consultants to the accounting profession. And we have vendor members who are either vendors that have a partner channel of their own or vendors who are um, providing products to our membership. So we bring all of those people together and really try to share knowledge and advance us all, which is really the goal. The more we share, the more we all benefit. And it's a really exciting thing for me because I was a member back when I was at Navision Software. When I left the CPA firm, I ended up at Navision where I built their CPA program and I joined the ITA and it really connected me to all the people who were driving the tech space forward in the accounting space. And those are people I've connected with all over the course of my career since then. So it was, for me, really a a huge jumpstart for not only me, but also for our company. We were an unknown piece of software from Denmark that nobody could even pronounce. And it gave us credibility to be hanging out with these other major players. So it was a huge thing. So I'm really, it's really exciting that I can come back and be part of that. And, you know, the technology space continues to evolve rapidly. And so it brings everything I care about kind of together in one place. So it's really fun. So is that, and is ITA really promoting, you know, they're promoting the advisory of everything. That's what it seems to me, no matter what it is, it's all about advisory. Well, they're promoting, you know, best practices and, and growth and personal development and really meeting the needs of our clients as those continue to evolve. And so particularly in the CAS space, to me, that's the best opportunity to start advisory because the people in those CAS chairs feel the pain that their clients have every day. They're close to the pain. Whereas if I'm doing a, you know, once a year something with a client and doing financial statements, I don't see all the angst that goes on all year. I just see the ending trial balance in many cases, but it's the the struggle it takes to get to that point where the advisory opportunities happen. And so you see you see these cast teams actively seeking ways to make life better for their clients 
and also hopefully getting comfortable with asking different questions. So I've had a lot of interest from the bookkeeping community, and I've done a lot of stuff for Intuit as well on advisory and training. And I think I get the most responses from those training courses that I've done through Intuit um, about, you know, what it really looks like. So I know there's a lot of hunger out there and people are really trying to figure out how to how to do better work for their clients, make more of a difference. And that's that's really I, and yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, I know you and I have worked together on, on training, including QuickBooks Connect and webinars and all kinds of stuff, um, because this is such an important topic. We just keep, we keep beating, like you said it, I think maybe before we started recording, we just keep beating the drum. Um, but there's, there's still like, what is it, right? So let's, let's ground on that for a minute, because I, I think it was apt for you to bring that up. What, what is it exactly that people are, you know, uh, struggling to wrap their head around as it relates to the definition of what this is. Well, on the on the delivery, on the deliverer side, as the accountants, what we're struggling with is where do I start? How do I suddenly, especially for an existing client, I've trained them. One of the problems we have as a profession is we've trained our clients to expect a low level of service, right? I'll call you once a year and then I'll make you give me a bunch of stuff and then I'll sit on it for six months and eventually give you a result. That's much of what what tax people deliver in terms of a client experience. So now I'm going to go get trained and then I'm going to come back and go, okay, now I'm wearing a different hat. And now I'm going to be an advisor and ask you a bunch of questions that I've never asked you before. And so people are going, they're going to, you know, they're going to wonder why I didn't do this before. And it's not, you know, it's not that big a deal. Well, all you say is I've just gained some new insights and I'm doing some things differently. And I just like to ask you a couple questions about your business. You know, what works? And we have a format. We have this basic little grid that we use. It's the easiest way to start a new conversation with a client. The first, there's three rows. The first row is what's working in finance, customers, operations, people, and end in mind. So, and normally we just look at the finance broken box, right? We don't recognize what works. And this is a huge benefit for many of our clients because they get some comfort. Oh yeah, I did do something right. We never ask that normally. We never think about it for ourselves. I can give you 500 things I did wrong. I can't remember anything I did right in the last 400 years, right? So, <laughs> and, and that's how our clients feel. So when I start them off, you tell me what you did right, especially after COVID. What did you do right? What did you learn that you could do well during COVID? That's what do you learn now in post-COVID, supposedly, although COVID never seems to end? And, you know, and all the other stuff that we have going on in our world. So financially, what went right? What happened with the customers that went that you're proud of as successful? Operationally, what's working? What about your people? And then end in mind, are you doing things that are keeping you on track to where you want to end up? So that's the first that's the first set. And that's just asking that people go, wow, nobody's ever asked that before. Mm-hmm. So that's one point for me. Right. OK, I'm doing something different. I'm elevating myself above all of the competitors who aren't doing this. So then the second thing, then we go into the what's broken, what needs to be improved, financial, customers, operations, people, and in mind again. And, and that's kind of a SWOT analysis we're used to doing. But here's where you shift everything. The third row of this little, like it's like a bingo card that you just use for us to have a tool to keep ourselves organized. The third row is what is your ideal outcome, financial, customers, operations, people, and end in mind. 
And we don't ask that on the financial side normally. We assume it's profitability or we assume right. it's going to be cash flow or we assume something. But what did they want? And I've got clients that don't want profit necessarily. They have other businesses and they're doing this for some other reason or they're looking at long-term growth in the value of the brand and the land. So it's not a short-term profitability focus. It's I'm here for the long game. So understanding what they're trying to achieve ideally. And then again, what are you trying to do from a customer perspective? Are you trying to sell to everybody on the planet? Are you just trying to capture the state of California? Are you trying to you know grow the markets in these places? What are you trying to establish on the customer side? And then again, operations. What do you want to see? Do you want to have a clunky checkout process? So when your buyer at the winery that you've just made your best friend um, goes to buy the wine, it takes an hour and a half to process the credit card? I don't think so. So <laughs> operationally, what do you want? And then what kind of staff yeah. do you need to meet your objectives as a high-end winery? So that whole framing of it, that opens the door. Now I've got evidence about where they need help, what they're trying to do, what they're happy about. And then we can start saying, you know, which one of these is the biggest pain point for you right now? If you could fix any one of these things, what thing would you work on? Now I've got, okay, well, let's see if I can help you. The door's now wide open for advisory. But this so, is why you don't know what to do with that, Jason. And if you ask all those questions, right. and then the client says, my top priority is to um, improve the margins on my products. And you go, well, I don't have a clue. Sorry, bye. <laughs> right. right, which which is not true, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And we've talked we've talked about this, like where people think they have to be the expert in their client's business, and then okay. to that end, right? Then yeah. you get all these answers, these questions, and then you're like, okay, well, what do I do with I this? Don't know. What if I don't have a clue? Well, that's what you did. That's that's the that's the mystery that keeps us from asking those questions. Because right. I'm afraid I need to know every. And I don't know how to sell stuff, and I don't know how to do marketing campaigns, and I don't know how to bundle products or do promos or all that stuff that somebody over there is figuring out. But what I can do is help the client get data to understand which things are the lowest margin. I can help them analyze that, and I can build a model to show them what levers they can push. And that's when they get excited. So what we would do is then convene the leadership team and try to get those people to come up with ideas about what they could do to impact margins. And we can we can drill it down enough so they understand how they influence the margins on the products that are sold. Because most of the time, the people driving the results have no connection to what they do that has an impact. And that's the fun stuff. And you can get the frontline workers in a place to go, oh, now I get it. If I sell one more bottle of wine to this person, I can improve the revenue by this much. Yeah, and I can show you that. So that right. is the kind of thing that we do with these dashboards. These are the three things you fix. Look how much cash you generate from that. And then we break it down to the product level and to the frontline worker level to really make things happen. And so what you really become then is a catalyst. That's right. Not necessarily an expert. We're a facilitator. What And what I've had, the most successful consulting engagement you can have is when you summarize results of information that you've gathered and you present it to the owner and they say, well, you're not telling me anything I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that was a fail, right? Because I'm not giving them anything new. Well, I'm, you know, I failed. But what I realized is, 
how can I possibly see something that they don't already know? But what they don't have is data to support what they intuitively know from their experience in that business. So what I can do is back it up with information. I can gather data. I can organize it in a way that they can actually see it. And then they have a path to doing something about it. So rather than running around with seat of the pants sort of knowledge, I can give them comfort in that what they think they know is actually accurate and that there are things they can do to make that change if they need to make one. Right. So, because the unpack that some more because I'm I'm coming up with a reason in my head. But how does yeah. the data get you past the why well, I already know that? Say more about that. Well, what I've said is, you know, where do you this again, if I had started with the question, where do you go to see if your business is on track? And they go, well, I, I wait three weeks after the financial statements are closed. And then I know and I go, well, what do you do right now if you need to know where you are? And they say, well, I don't I don't have any info yet. Then I know we need to we need to create systems to give them top of mind in the moment insight so they can make better decisions. So, I mean, it's a combination of the whole dialogue that we have around it. But if they say, um, you know, we don't have enough cash or something, and I go, where do you go to see that? To the bank, right, Jason? <laughs> I go, check. <laughs> well, that's not exactly a good indicator of what no. you're going to do. So we need to potentially look at cash flow forecast so you can plan ahead. Because once the bank is there, you're only looking at what's cleared and you haven't ca- accounted for all the bills that have already been mailed out and not cleared yet. So right. that's the kind of stuff. So when you or find out expenses that have yeah, many of them are, you know, smaller businesses, especially you're looking at the bank account. So it's asking that sort of where do you go and what matters to you question. And then, you know, if they brought me in and I mean, this is cases where they brought me in to figure out how to, I have an owner that wants to retire and I can't get the team to do what I want them to do. Okay. That's, that's a common issue. You come in, you interview the team, you start looking at stuff and the owner is there for like three hours a day and doesn't really want to be there and doesn't want to be bothered. He wants to retire, but he's same time has not empowered the team to make any decisions. There's no budget in place. There's all this stuff. So you go through this whole process and you say, I interviewed your team and these are the things they said. There's not, they don't have the authority to make decisions. So they need you, but you're never there. So things aren't happening. And so basically the conclusion is you need to bring in a GM. You need to bring in somebody who's going to manage things full time so that you can go off and do what you want to do. And he said, Oh, you're not telling me anything I didn't know, (laughs) but he wouldn't act on it. Because he didn't have data and he also didn't have perspective across the team. You know, you're not going to sit down and say, what can we do to make this better? Nobody's going to tell him to his face. Well, we need you to be here more when but they know that's not what he wants to do. So that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but it's a regular occurrence because, you know, owners really can feel it. That there's something going on, or, but there's often can't pinpoint exactly what the problem is. But when you present something like that, and and I was really terrified. I mean, this is just one example, but you know, it's a scary thing to sit there and say, "Okay, here's the answer," and the problem is you. <laughs> They're gonna fire me. And I, <laughs> you know, put up some quotes, and I've had some stuff, and I had done the research and interviewed the team, and people were telling me stuff. And he said, "You know, that's when he said this isn't anything I didn't know." But he said, "You know, this is hard to see." But I understand I need to make some changes. And then um, shortly after that, they brought in a GM. 
So, that's why they, that's why they call you the impactful advisor. You make you are impactful and make change. I remember from the course one of the things I think you probably show that really makes a difference and everyone understands. I think it was a dry cleaning store. If they increase the number of services they sell, and you had the dashboard where you sell one more thing for like three bucks, all of a sudden the profit margin and went up and the cash tremendously. That's the that's the to me the most interesting part about all of this. That you know, most people are looking for the for the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. They look for the big, huge thing that they're going to unravel and fix. And what often happens is it's the little thing that you can change that will have this big impact. And that's when it's fun, when you can break it down to the point. Like when I do these trainings with teams and I say, if everybody just gets whoever's going to buy. So somebody's on their way to the cash register to buy some wine. If you can get that person to buy one more bottle before they leave the winery, here's the impact it'll have on revenue. You don't need any more visitors to come in. You don't need any more people to buy. Let's just take the ones who are already ready to buy and get them to buy one more thing. What can we do to make that happen? And I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, I know you get me drunk, I'll buy another bottle, right? You get all your <laughs> in the tasting room to drink more alcohol, but they're already doing that. But the tasting room staff come up with a hundred different ways to make that happen. Now they're empowered to see their their ability to drive a different outcome. And so now mm-hmm. they can think of things and they share that with each other and they get really excited. So that's what we're looking to do. But it's a small change. I don't have to launch a million dollar marketing campaign. I don't have to do because I can drive as many people as I want into a retail site. But it doesn't matter if they don't buy. Right. And and the people in the sales seat, when whatever business it is, can't influence how many come in. So the only thing they can control is the people in that building and how many of those people actually buy. And that's where they see that they're empowered now to drive an outcome that the company is trying to get them to achieve. That's perfect. And it's just really that's, fun. That's a perfect example of the impact that this type of work has. And, and to really like the way you described it uniquely made me like see it, feel it. You know, I can picture the staff in the tasting room coming up with these ideas, getting excited. Um, they get really excited. Because they want the business to succeed. They want to be, you know, let's have this whole engagement problem. And a big piece of that is that we create KPIs, we create measures, but they're created at the top and then imposed on the staff as punishment most of the time. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you might get a reward if you achieve it. But most of the time we're saying this is what you're supposed to do and you didn't hit it. Versus if I bring in this team and show them if you can just move one more bottle of wine to each person who's already going to buy, here's what you can do. And we count that they've created the measure. And then they go, this is cool because I understand it and I know where it's coming from. And I'm going to see benefit and impact on my commission if I achieve this. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a very engaging environment in which to work. And you also have to, though, Jason, if I'm going to count something, I can't count it in the in the back room and not let anybody know until the end of the month. Because then they can't change behavior in the middle of the month when they haven't hit the targets they're aiming for. So you've got to right. get visibility for those staff. And that's hard for some of us to do as well. So not only empower them to figure out what to count, but also allow them to see how they're doing, which you think is kind of an obvious thing, but it's not. Yeah. Well, why is that hard? 
Because we have this sense of um, if we show people too much stuff, they're going to somehow take advantage of that and try to get, try to do something. I don't know, like provide discounts. If I show them how much margin I'm making, then my people selling will try to offer discounts to everybody that comes in. I've never seen that happen. They want to hit their sales targets, but generally they want to hit their revenue targets. So discounting isn't going to help. Yeah. I've heard that with conversations that people have about like the partner model, right? Like partners, you know, who pull in just big salaries, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year salaries and their staff, you know, they don't share that with their staff, which intuitively, you know, you understand like, why would somebody share their salary information? But the staff are like looking at the partners and they're like, I don't want that life. And they don't even realize the earning potential there. And so there's this disconnect between advancing the success of of those you know that are that are earlier in their careers uh and wanting to get to that place and so i see it too just like with with budgets right like with other other earlier career folks that intuit when when they find out about certain things and how much that costs they're like man i'm in the wrong business i'm like yeah but you're not you're not thinking about this 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 and this you know and that's what makes up all that and and once they have that perspective then then they can just approach it realistically without that that emotional shock to it, if you will. And I think that's spot on. Like, there's nothing wrong with having a degree of transparency in the business. And I'm not saying that you need to disclose the full financial statements or your cash position like that. But if I'm if I'm in a system where I'm generating revenue and I can't see what happened today or tomorrow or the next day, then I can't see that I'm not on track. And so it needs to be visible not only to the owner daily, but also to the people that are driving the results forward. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and I worked in a retail store when I was as a part-time job at one point in my career, I worked at a container store and it was the most fun thing I've ever done. You, you're in there and you have a register and there's a button you can push to see how you're doing. And we have a daily target for revenue for every single day for every single location at a container store. And we would come in in the morning, we'd see the number on the wall, and then we go to the, the point of sale system on the floor and push the button and see how we were doing. And at lunchtime, if we weren't halfway there, we'd have a huddle and go, what can we do to make this better? Well, if you've ever been to a container store, you can just put some more tchotchke stuff around the register. There are little things. And, oh, do you need a paperclip holder? And, you know, and I think I was the one who drove it up because I would buy every little dumb thing that I saw at the counter because I loved that stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, that's how they, if you show them that, they think about things. When somebody asks for this container, ask them if they also have a closet hanger or, you know, a shoe filing thing or something. And you can actually help them come up with things that are not just selling to them, but are actually helping them in whatever challenge they right. came into that environment to say, to serve, to solve. <laughs> serve, yeah, say, well said. <laughs> Easy for me to say. But but, but well said overall. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Because you're dead on right. And so we're we're coming up on time, Jeannie. I wanted to um get your thoughts on one last thing about, and we're already kind of talking about it, talking about selling things as it relates to the business. Um, but what about for the accountants? How, what advice would you give people to sell? Like, let's say they've done the questioning, they've gotten some information, they have some thoughts on how they could kind of get a client into advisory services. How do you then cross that that chasm, especially for the first time, 
right? And and the sell the service to and ask for the money. And what does that look like? Is that a subscription model or is it a one-time flat fee or what does that well, look like? It can be it can be whatever model you want, but the hard part is is getting that client to appreciate the value of what you're going to do. This is the Ron Baker and Ed class, you know, the the value pricing model. Um, how do I ask a client how much pain they're in? So if I've gone through that grid, if I've gone through that grid, and I've had you say what works, what's broken or not working, and then what you want to achieve ideally, all I have to do now is go, what would it be worth to you if you could achieve any one of these outcomes you've identified? Or how much is it costing you that your operational systems are, are broken? Or how much are you spending on the 50,000 spreadsheets that you're doing in your team in order to come up with a data point in the moment right now. And then when they can start seeing the value of the pain or the impact of that pain, it's a very easy thing to go, you know, I think I can help you with this. Um, we can do a model to show you that. And then I can work with your teams to get them trained. And then we can we can create a plan to help improve whatever it is you're struggling with. But what I normally do is an initial engagement to review what's happening, to gather info for them and summarize it. So it's basically like a needs analysis. Let me get with your team and find out what some of their challenges are. We'll compile that in a half-day meeting, and it's going to be a fixed fee of this. And then from there, we'll come out with what we should work on next, and then we'll price it as we step through the components. But the first value I can deliver to you is clarity from your teams around what's really happening at their level. And so it's really, it's a phase thing where you say, these are the kinds of things we can do, but let's start with real clarity around what the organization needs. And I've got your perspective as the owner, but let's see if this aligns with what everybody else thinks is going on and what they think we're trying to achieve and all these other things. And then bringing that together is a huge value for them, whether they use me to do the next thing or not. I have a deliverable that they appreciate. And they always come out of those meetings and go, oh, this was fantastic. What can we do right. next? Going. Right, because so, they're not they're they're not thinking to do that of their own accord, right? That's right. that's that's right. What you can bring to the table, yeah. And then you can just hold them accountable to whatever they commit to do that comes out of that meeting, and that's the service. You can show up every month and say, "Okay, let's review what you all have done." And then if they haven't done anything, then you go, "Well, maybe I need to help you get this done. Let me come sit with your team or whatever." So it's a constant sort of a helping them move forward. Yeah. And that's where you could implement a subscription model and then you could package your compliance services into that as well. And so it's all just just done. And then you set it up on automatic EFTs, right? So you're not chasing the clients, chasing invoices. That's right. Perfect. Well, great. Really great tips, Jeannie. Thanks so much for for coming on the show. Again, what was that website? Again, if people want to go uh, check out the training. TheImpactfulAdvisor.com. The T-H-E impactfuladvisor.com. Go check it out, folks. Uh, Really awesome uh, training and tools that Jeannie's touched on. And hopefully, um, you know, some some helpful tidbits uh, and some, you know, every guest that we have on the show, you know, brings some unique perspective to things. And I think, you know, some of your examples, Jeannie, have been um, definitely that. And we just continue to have these conversations until it clicks and everybody's able to do this with with the ease that we know that they're capable. It's great. Thank you so much, Jason and David, for having me here. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Jeannie, and thanks for listening. Till next time. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2023.